You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. Is your name Shylock? Shylock is my name. Of a strange nature is the suit you follow, yet in such rule that the Venetian law cannot impugn you as you do proceed. You stand within his danger, do you not? Do you confess the bond? I do. Then must the Jew be merciful? Oh, on what compulsion must I? Tell me that. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptred sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew... Though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy. And that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which if thou follow this strict court of Venice, must needs give sentence against the merchant there. Hello, I'm David Ricardo Pierce, and welcome to Share Drama on Share Radio. Oh, for a muse of fire! Uh, we've just heard a scene from Merchant of Venice, uh, Shylock and Portia, performed by myself and the actor Catherine Bailey, and uh, have Catherine with me in the studio today. Catherine, welcome to Share Drama. Thank you very much. Well, it's very, very nice to see you here. You too, yeah, <laughs> very exciting. Tell me a little bit about your um, your start in the, in the business. Well, I started very young because I went to a stage school when I was 11, and attached to the school as well was an agency. So people were always going for auditions whilst having to then go back to geography or then going doing maths or whatever. So I started at that age. And did you work professionally when you were a kid? I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, great. I did. Yeah, we did. Um, I did a, a TV series when I was 12 and then we did... Uh, what was that called? Have I seen it? Uh, oh, gosh, that was called Uncle Jack. And that had... Uh, it was on BBC. Yeah. And it had uh, the lead singer of Manfred Mann in it, Paul Jones. Wow. It was extraordinary. And Uncle he was, Jack. Uncle Jack, and he was an environmentalist. Yeah. And he was always getting into scrapes with the vixen who was played by Fenella Fielding, wow. who was in all the carry-on films. Yeah, 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 of course. So that was quite an extraordinary experience. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. Amazing. It was all filmed at um, the now defunct BBC TV Centre as well, so it felt yeah. very exciting for a, cool. a, a kid. Unfortunately, you, you were just slightly the wrong generation for the uh, the Harry Potters. I was. Um, otherwise, yeah, you, you'd be... I was quite on, out of the on mix. your own island somewhere, probably yes. sunning, sunning yourself. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, a thing I like to do, um, weekly thing I like to do, is I like to pit an actor against a banker. So I, I like to test uh, an actor's knowledge of financial jargon against a banker's knowledge of Shakespearean jargon. Goodness me. Goodness you, in, indeed. <laughs> so, Catherine, mm-hmm. the phrase for you yes. is market cap. That is 
market cap. Right. I actually do know exactly what that means. Oh, do you really? Enough. Yes. Um, it is. Uh, it actually originated in the 16th century as a special hat <laughs> worn on a certain day of the year. Yeah, the market, the market the, cap. The market the cap. Market cap. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really Just show the, the listeners what it looks like, but no. it was a sort of, if you can imagine, say, what someone in doublet and hose would be wearing, yeah. it would be a sort of, maybe a, a tam shanta style, yeah. slightly floppy, but worn very much on one side. Yeah, oh, um, I see. And, and it's, it's different to the, to the church cap. Very, and, very different. And, and the weekday breakfast cap. Utterly um, different. Which is, is specially designed to mop up your bacon and eggs spillage. Well, precisely. Yeah, and and you, uh, you wear those a lot more frequently, whereas the market cap yeah. was worn on one day a year. I don't know the answer, it, David. I don't is, that know your, the answer. is that your final My final, final answer? answer is, is that I have no idea. <laughs> well, Catherine, we, the, the joy of this show is that you, you get to learn something as, as well as having fun. I think it's important so, that I do learn something. Market cap. Here's the definition of market cap. Right. It's short for market capitalization. It's a measure of the company's worth on the stock market. It's simply the current share price multiplied by the total number of shares in issue. You see, I was about to say that. You were about to say that. I knew yeah. you were, you, you were messing around about, about hats, but you, you had that on the tip of your tongue. Did. Okay, so uh, I'm afraid that's a, a massive zero for the actor this week. <laughs> Let us go and see how the banker got on. Okay. I'm down in Canary Wharf uh, chatting to Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hi, so um, just testing city workers' knowledge of Shakespearean jargon for God. share radio. So uh, the word I've got for you today, it's a slightly uh, tricky one. It's hugger-mugger. Hugger-mugger? Yeah, hugger-mugger. I mean, that must be a joke. No, it's a, it's a Shakespearean word. That can't be true. Hug-a-mugger. Hugger. <laughs> not hug-a-mugger. Okay. It's hugger-mugger, like H-U- hugger-mugger. H-U-W-G-R-M-U-W-G-R. Okay. Sounds... Uh, I mean, you, uh, goodness me, what a hugger-mugger. <laughs> it's an excellent guess. It actually means, is that your final answer? <laughs> it's not really an answer, <laughs> yet. It actually means it means a secret act done too quickly without thinking it through. Oh, that's very good, actually. You see? <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Nice chatting to you. My dear fellow. Cheers. Thank you. So there we are. Um, the banker failed to correctly guess the meaning of hugger-mugger. So the score currently stands at one all actors against bankers. Right, so Catherine. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Um, in terms of in terms of your your career as as an actor um, mm. so far, um, what would you for you? What's the most exciting thing you've done? That's a good question. I'd I'd have to say maybe because I've just done it. The Globe was a really thrilling experience because mm. you are very much you're very much involved with the audience in in a in a in a way that you aren't when you're doing, say, for example. Uh, a performance in a prosarch theatre where the actors are in the light, the audience are in the dark, and you are very much aware of the audience, but not in the same way when, when you're at the Globe. It's very interactive. You can see everyone. The audience almost becomes another character, yeah. which is very liberating, a little bit frightening, but also makes it uh, exhilarating and different each time. Yeah, and it's very exciting for the audience as well. I mean, I, personally, I always stand at the Globe just because I quite like being right up next to the stage. Me too, yeah. Um, and, and you can you can move about. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, like, just like you were in Shakespeare's day. We did a version of Merchant of Venice earlier on this year mm. designed for uh, specifically for young people mm. uh, and people who'd never been to the theatre before. And the entire project was bankrolled by Deutsche Bank. Uh, it's a scheme where they give money to the Globe every year and they put on a very lavish production and invite all the schools in London for free to see a Shakespeare play. Brilliant. And most of the kids have never been... They'll be from London, but most of them have never been into a theatre before. Most of them have never seen the Thames before. Wow. So you can imagine the audience in that capacity is very demonstrative. Overexcited? Very overexcited. Yeah. It's like playing a gig. Right. It's very... And, and it's often very loud and yeah. you have to... 
you have to fight for the audience's attention in a way that I would imagine one would have to have done back in Shakespeare's time. Yeah, 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 yeah. When did you first sort of hear about Shakespeare? I mean, did you study him at, at, the, at drama school? We did it um, at stage school, yes, but I was also very lucky in that I grew up uh, in the Barbican when the RSC was still resident in the Barbican Theatre. I remember. Hmm. You remember it? Mm -hmm. So I used to go and see everything. I used to just go and watch all the productions and and standout productions like Adrian Noble's Midsummer Night's Dream. I remember that very clearly. I was also performing there. We were doing um, a play called Spring Awakening, which was in the the pit theatre down in in sort of the, the... basement of the uh, Yeah, I know, know it well. You know it well. Mm-hmm. And I remember just, we'd, we'd do our show and then there'd be Toby Stevens running around playing Coriolanus. It was very, very exciting. Wow. So it's always had a bit of um, a bit of glamour and excitement for me. And then to be able to play at the Globe this year, we did, so I did Merchant at the beginning of the year, followed by Julius Caesar, which is a very public play, which was written by Shakespeare in 1599 for the opening of the second Globe Theatre after the first one had burnt down. Right. So the sense of occasion to be able to to perform Julius Caesar, such a public play about uh, someone who is in charge, who is going to get usurped, as in Julius Caesar, all the parallels with that and Elizabeth mm-hmm. and everything, all the layers, and knowing that you're doing it somewhere, well, 200 metres from where the original Globe site yeah. was, is, was a real... Uh, extraordinary, yeah. Yeah, it's very exciting. So the the play we're talking about today, obviously, mm. Merchant of Venice. Yes. Um, I'm just going to do something. Uh, it's a, a thing I, I like to do. Uh, to any listeners who don't know Merchant of Venice very well, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to do a very quick synopsis um, for, for for those listeners. But I'm going to try and do this in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you may well laugh. No repetition, so, deviation, hesitation. <laughs> exactly. <Very good. laughs> um, Amelia, are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one. And go. Bassanio needs some money to court Portia, a rich heiress who lives in Belmont. So he asks his friend Antonio to lend him some cash. Antonio agrees, but all his money is invested in some ships that are at sea. Oops. So they need a loan. Elsewhere, Portia's a bit miserable because she has to marry the man who correctly chooses one of the three caskets, gold, silver or lead. Back in Venice with the merchants, Antonio and Bassanio approach Shylock, a Jewish moneylender, for a loan. Antonio doesn't like Shylock's usury, which is loaning money at exorbitant rates of interest. Shylock doesn't like Antonio. He undermines business by offering interest-free loans. Shylock offers to lend Bassanio 3,000 ducats and the loan go unpaid, Shylock will be entitled to a pound of Antonio's own flesh. Antonio agrees. Elsewhere, Shylock's daughter Jessica elopes with Antonio's friend Lorenzo. Meanwhile, the princes of Morocco and Aragon choose the wrong caskets, gold and silver. Idiots. Bassanio and Portia declare their love for one another. Bassanio picks the correct casket, which is lead. General rejoicing. But the celebration is cut Ten, short by the news that Antonio nine, has lost his ships and that eight, he's forfeited his bond to Shylock. Seven, Back in Venice, Shylock six, ignores the pleas to spare Antonio's five, life and a trial is called. Four, Duke of Venice has three, sent for a legal expert who turns to be Portia disguised as a man. Portia one, tells Shylock stop! and she saves the day. Yeah, very good. I um, I yeah, obviously I, <laughs> I slightly uh, fudged the end of it. <laughs> Portia saves the day. Um, I suppose that's that sums it up really. But basically, what happens? Good yes. old, good old Portia dresses up, dresses up as a man and saves the day, like in all the best Shakespeare plays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so before we talk about your production of Merchant of Venice, um, we're going to have a quick chat with Amelia about her production of Merchant of Venice, which is about to be created in front of our very ears, <laughs> and her performance, award-winning performance, potentially, as Shylock. <laughs> so, uh, we've come down to South London to have a chat with Amelia. Amelia, hello. Hello. Welcome back to Share Drama. Thank you. Feel good to be back? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, um, we're going to have a quick chat today about The Merchant of Venice, okay. which is uh, a, a, another Shakespeare play. What do you know about The Merchant of Venice? I think it's set in Venice. You're absolutely brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) So, what do you know about Venice? Don't they, like, have the canals as the roads and they have to 
go around on gondolas or something. Exactly, yeah. So, that, so it's an entire city built on water. I think it's sinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, um, over a long period of time. Okay. So any, have you been to Italy yourself? Yes, I've been to Rome. What do you remember about Rome? The architecture was very grand. Yeah, big big architecture. Do you see any buildings in, in particular? Colosseum. Okay, which is where they used to have all the um, gladiatorial fights. Yes. And what do you know about merchants? Do they sell things? They Exactly. <laughs> so Merchant of Venice is people who sell things in Venice. Um, the basic plot of it is a, a merchant called Antonio um, needs to borrow a load of money from another guy called Shylock, who's a Jewish moneylender. Um, Shylock lends him the money, but says, if you don't pay it back, I want a pound of your flesh. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's and quite um, quite uh, violent as well. W- would you would you offer up a pound of your flesh in return for a, a, a wager? Mm, no, I don't think I would. <laughs> no, I don't think I would either. Um, so, what well, I'd, I'd like you to play a bit of Shylock, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Antonio has just asked him. For 3,000 ducats, which is about £150,000. Wow. So this is uh, Shylock's response to Antonio's asking for that money. Signor Antonio, many a time and oft, in the Rialto you have rated me about my monies and my usances. Still have I borne it with a patient shrug. You call me misbeliever, cutthroat dog, and spit upon my Jewish gabardine. Uh, and foot me as you spurn a stranger cur. Over your threshold, money's is your suit. What should I say to you? Should I not say, hath a dog money? Is it possible? A cur can lend three thousand ducats. Or shall I bend low and in a bond's man's keys say this? Fair sir, you spit on me on Wednesday last. You spurned me such a day. Another time, you called me dog. And for these courtesies, I'll lend you thus much monies. Very good. Oh, I felt that scathing... Mick take really it's really hurt actually Amelia okay um, maybe next week you can come back and play uh, apart from Midsummer Night's Dream okay okay see you next week bye you're listening to Sheer Drama on Sheer Radio so there we have it um, Amelia possibly uh, the best Shylock uh, in, in history I mean we don't know that for sure but uh, it's, it's pretty fantastic she is actually She's very, very good indeed really, really terrific who's her agent oh. <laughs> actually, no get, get on to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right, so, um, Catherine, you performed Merchant of Venice uh, earlier this year at the Globe Theatre. Yes. And uh, it was in association with, with Deutsche Bank um, for, for kids. So tell me a little bit about your production of the play. Um, you know, what did, did you... The Globe often obviously sets things very traditionally in, in the... You know, were you Venice in the 1500s? We were Venice in 2014. Right. And... Uh, well, I should say Venice was set in 2014 and was seen as this very lavish cosmopolitan uh, uh, centre of, of commerce. And the designer wanted us to look at, wanted the rich Venetians to be a little bit like sort of made in Chelsea, sort of uh, rich kids on Instagram type right. people, yeah, yeah. drinking champagne, looking yeah. very yeah. ostentatiously rich. Um, Portia, who is, of course, very wealthy as well, but not from Venice, uh, the director's idea was to have her in in Belmont, but to have Belmont as sort of like a kind of spa. So he <laughs> right. phoned me up the night before the first rehearsal and said, uh, "Oh, hi, Catherine. Um, just got a few idea, a few design ideas for this." Yeah. And I said, "Okay, well, tell me." And he said, "Well, we thought we might have Portia in her first scene um, in a hot tub." <laughs> 
in the middle of the yard where right. the groundlings stand. And right. I, I had to sort of chat. I'm sorry. He said, yeah, you know, you could basically be coming on in a, one of these big white robes and then, you know, you have a bikini on and get into the hot tub. And I said, like, hang on a minute, 1,500 <laughs> 15-year-olds. Anyway, I yeah, did that it. is that to me sounds like absolute <laughs> mayhem. It went mental. Oh my god! Yeah, really. And it, it that you did it. I did it. Wow. Um, it was hilarious because the the hot tub was on a sort of extension that went from the main globe stage into the yard. So when they saw me walking through the yard, this yeah. this sort of buzz kicked off. What's she doing? What's, what's going on? Yeah. And then if one took the robe off, I was wearing a swimming costume. Uh, everyone went absolutely mental and it, it was a great way of... What a coup though, the yeah. theatre and, and something that those kids will, will never forget. I would yeah, have they all mentioned it. When you got oh, feedback yeah. from the kids they went, oh wow, Porsche was in a hot tub and yeah. it, it set up that world of, of, you know, kind of quite lazy... Um, relaxed wealth, really. Yeah. Sum that up perfectly. And also, it just goes to show you—you you can literally take Shakespeare anywhere you like, and as long as you play the story and and the, and the relationships, I mean, it just holds up anywhere, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it would have been better if it had been indoor, possibly, because it was March. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Only, only yeah. fortunately, we were very lucky. We—I think it snowed at one point. Um, I remember being in the hot tub with. The at least snow. you're in a hot tub. Come I was on. in a hot tub. Yes. Yeah, not fine. in a cold bath. Um, <laughs> So uh, you mentioned that, you know, the Made in Chelsea link, you know, you sort of made it a lot about how rich everyone is and mm. how, obviously how rich Portia lives in, lives in a spa with a hot tub. Yes. I mean, a, a, a massive theme of Merchant of Venice is money, the world of finance, you know, the yeah. trading of in, in the in the ports. Um, mm. You know, Antonio starts saying, I don't know why I'm so sad. I don't know what's mm. going on, mm. you know, and they go, is it because your ships are, are you know, are, you don't know what's happening with your ship. You know, mm. it's it's all about trade, obviously, you know, Shylock lends them 3,000 ducats in, in today's money. That's about £150,000. Yes. We're talking about big, big sums of money. Yes. Um, but one thing that... Um, oh, and also, obviously, um, you know, the the thing that... I mean, I mentioned it very briefly in the minute synopsis, but mm. the usury that, that um, Shylock uses to lend money, where mm-hmm. he, he loans money at exorbitant rates of interest, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, very much like the, the, I don't know, the payday loan companies nowadays who, you know, who, who again, they sort of multipliers. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, Antonio is undercutting it by, by lending money for nothing, you know. <laughs> so it's just, you know, sort of, you know, undercutting Shylock's business. Yes. So, so there's a whole bubbly world of, of finance that the play is set on. But one thing that I think people don't often associate with money is the Porsche story. Yes. But as you said, it is very much about money. Her Her father... What is it? Her father has has her, her father's uh, her father's died and mm. has said that she has to she has to marry, but the the choice of who the suitor the successful suitor will be the one that chooses the correct casket. There are three caskets of gold, silver, and lead. So certainly in our production, whilst Portia began as being very very wealthy and seemingly very powerful, she's still having to wait for. Um, the correct guy to turn up and pick the right casket. Yeah. Um, what became apparent, certainly in our production, is that once she has chosen Bassanio, once everything's fine, literally for a very short space of time, everything's fine because then the message comes in that um, Antonio is in a lot of trouble and Bassanio mm. is beholden to him. Yeah. Um, she immediately she immediately resolves to sort it out uh, by saying that she will lend, uh, you know, pay pay the pay the debt three times over in fact yeah, pay for, what's her. the problem yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sort it out which is remember £150,000 three times over three times yeah, over she, she, to her it's nothing yeah you know. crazy money yeah but it was, it's worth mentioning as well when, when we we started the production the director mentioned that um, a lot of the young people in the audience um, I think they were from 15 onwards or whatever um, 
it was actually in an article the other day, most 17 to 24-year-olds don't borrow money from banks or credit card companies. They go to places like Wonga or whatever, or payday yeah, loan companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's so apt. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the audience would have maybe texted those companies and borrowed 100 quid or whatever, and you think it's so... Not much change, really. In fact, I mean, so much so that I was reading an article in the Times newspaper a few days ago, um, which was uh, the, the the headline was "All that glisters is not was not gold." Yes, um, which is obviously a the, the uh, written on one of the caskets at the, mm. I think Morocco. Opens. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, All that glisters is not gold. Often, have you heard that told? Many a man his life are sold, but my outside to behold. Mm. And um, the article was about these bronze, these dark ages um, goldsmiths who were defrauding <laughs> people by making by, by, by sort of making fake gold jewellery. They were sort of processing this gold so all the gold would rise to the top and the silver and copper and the cheaper metals would go below and they're wow. flogging it for massively inflated prices. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I love the way that they <laughs> use it. Was the, ever the, thus. The, yeah, it was ever thus. <laughs> yes. So, um, we are going to hear a little bit more mm-hmm. of The Merchant of Venice. Um, we heard earlier the, this a scene where um, Portia is trying to entreat Shylock to have mercy. Um, and we are now moving slightly further ahead um, to, to, to her trying to, well, very successfully out-negotiating him um, about why he can't actually take his pound of flesh. A pound of that same merchant's flesh is thine. The court awards it, and the law doth give it. Most rightful judge! And you must cut this flesh from off his breast. The law allows it, and the court awards it. Most learned judge, a sentence, come, prepare. Tarry a little, there is something else. This bond doth give thee here no jot of blood. The words expressly are a pound of flesh. Take then thy bond, take thou thy pound of flesh. But in the cutting it, if thou dost shed one drop of Christian blood, thy lands and goods are by the laws of Venice, confiscate unto the state of Venice. Is that the law? Thyself shalt see the act. Therefore prepare thee to cut off the flesh Shed thou no blood, nor cut thou less, nor more, but just a pound of flesh, if thou cutst more, or less than a just pound, be it but so much, as makes it light or heavy in the substance, or the division of the twentieth part of one poor scruple, nay, if the scale do turn, but in the estimation of a hair, thou diest, and all thy goods are confiscate. Give me my principle, and let me go. Thou hast refused it in the open court. Thou shalt have merely justice and thy bond. Shall I not have barely my principal? Thou shalt have nothing but the forfeiture, to be so taken at thy peril, Jew. Why, then the devil give him good of it. I'll stay no longer question. Tarry, Jew. It is enacted in the laws of Venice, if it be proved against an alien, that by direct or indirect attempts he seek the life of any citizen, the party against the which he doth contrive shall seize one half his goods, and the offender's life lies in the mercy of the duke only against all other voice. In which predicament I say thou standst. For it appears by manifest proceeding that indirectly and directly too thou hast contrived against the very life of the defendant. Down, therefore, and beg mercy of the Duke. 
so there we have it. Um, Shylock ends up being punished, um, very harshly punished. He, he, he's um, made convert from Judaism to Christianity, a, a undercurrent of anti-Semitism through the play, mm. which is it feels to me very much as a, as a very deliberate satirical um, move by Shakespeare to, to, to shine a light on anti-Semitism. Yes. Um, the second uh, punishment is he has to give all of his money and lands in his will to Jessica and Lorenzo. Um, so... That is all we have time for today, Catherine. Thanks, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been Pleasure. it's been great having you on, um, learning a, a little bit more about you. Um, and just leaves me to give the answer to last week's teaser question. Uh, the quote I left you with was: "Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry." Uh, Catherine, any ideas? Yes, that's Polonius talking to his son Laertes. That's Polonius from the play Hamlet. Um, started with an easy one. So, um, the teaser question quote for next week is the following. For bounty that makes gods does still mar men. My dearest Lord, blessed to be most accursed, rich only to be wretched, thy great fortunes are made thy chief afflictions. <laughs>